Meet Mpodeniso. At least yo, Jesus Christ must be black like me. Yo, at least show me hide this blue towel, the hideous towel ever. He is 47 years old and works as a hairstylist in Seapoint. A hairdresser, a stylist, it's somebody that is after money. Unprofessional. Unprofessional, but when you are a hairdresser, you've first gone to school, you did your NAA levels, you know, and then you did your trade tests. But if you didn't do those things, you are a fly-by-night, you are a hairstylist, pronto. Correction, he is a hairdresser whom some would recognize from this TV competition. It's the final soft and free hair experts masters challenge with all eyes on the stylists and everything at stake. Unfortunately for him, he didn't make it to the final round. Going home will be Mpo Diniso. Thank you, Mpo. You'll be leaving us today. Job well done. We thank you for your art. Another thing you need to know about Mpo is that he is still establishing his business in Seapoint, which means he doesn't earn as much as he would like. He takes home about 3,500 rand a month. But Mpo lives in Greenpoint, where to buy a property, you'll pay 33,000 rand and 54,000 rand per square meter, depending on the building and location. Mpo's made a plan though. He's living rent-free until he gets kicked out or arrested or both. He's one of about 70 people residing in the Helen Bowden Nurses Home, a once vacant government-owned building. Depending on how you look at it, they are either desegregation activists or law-defying squatters. I'll call them the occupants. And this is their story. Yeah, we are coming to my balcony now. This is my favorite spot. And I like to stand here and look at the Robben Island. It's a chilly winter's evening and Mpo and I are standing on the balcony of... I guess we can call it his new pad. With an outstretched arm, he points to the view overlooking Granger Bay. And it must be very nice waking up to that view. Precisely, and also the seagulls making their noises. It's so magic, and the sun comes from uh, this side, so it shines through my window. So it's so nice to see the sunrise. Mpo has a small room. He has a single bed, cupboard, a basin fitted with a tap, but no running water. From the outside, this five-storey monolithic concrete structure is arguably the least attractive in a neighbourhood that boasts the v waterfront, fancy hotels and pricey apartments. I met him poor by chance while walking through the dark, eerily quiet corridors of this old building using my phone as a torch. He was about to enter the room when I broke the silence. How long have you been staying here? Since Saturday. Since Saturday, where are you from? From from Seapoint. Is your name Mpo? Yes. I figured his name was Mpo because it was scrawled across the front of his door. Like many working class black and coloured people, 
Mpo lived on the outskirts of the Cape Town CBD. There's a legion of security guards, domestic workers, caregivers and other working class folks who wake up before sunrise to journey into town every morning, spending between 20 and 30% of their monthly income on buses, trains and minibus taxis. It's one of the enduring legacies of apartheid laws. Mpo used to live in Guguletu, but crime drove him out. I got robbed a lot of times. Then I felt unsafe because people, they went into my room with a crowbar, a knife and a gun, and they break the door and they came in, they found me there. And I just begged for my life and I asked them to take everything. That's when he moved to Seapoint, drifting between sharing a room with someone and sleeping at a local homeless shelter. It's expensive to live in the CBD, Seapoint or Greenpoint, because property values have skyrocketed. Many people, even those earning decent salaries, have been priced out of the property market. So what does someone like Mpo do? One of my clients told me that there's uh, this organization called Reclaim the City because she heard that I, I live in a shelter. So why don't I join this organization because they're fighting for low-cost housing. So I said, yeah, I would love to, you know. Reclaim the City is a social movement campaigning for affordable housing. When housing activists talk about the inner city, they are referring to a five-kilometre radius of the CBD of Cape Town. But this isn't a clear-cut issue. Lately, there's been uncertainty about whether the CBD and its surrounds include areas like Seapoint in the Atlantic seaboard, a picturesque upmarket strip of coastline. Municipal officials say it does, but the provincial government has a different view. In fact, there's another interpretation, one that regards the inner city as relative. People are working in different areas, Rahim. I mean, as I said, if you're talking about someone who's working in Babel, that is the inner city of that particular individual. If you define it in terms of human settlements... The definition in terms of human settlement is that you want to create opportunities for people closer to work. As Provincial Minister Bonging Korsi Madikizela oversees housing and urban development in the Western Cape. No matter how aggrieved people are, I mean, you can't raise your grievances by resorting to lawlessness. I mean, if you illegally occupy land or any site that does not belong to you, I mean, you are breaking the law. Mpo doesn't see it that way. To his mind, this is a moral stand for social justice. The infrastructure of Cape Town, I can tell you, it sucks because they push black people and coloured people, everyone away from the, the prime spots. So that pisses me off. That's why I, I believe that this platform that I'm in It's not a political platform, it's all about land. Through attending meetings and pickets, Mpo met Sheila Marikane, a domestic worker in Seapoint. This is our home and we're going to stay here. Show us around. Till they decide to come and bring the court order to tell us to move out, but we're not moving. Then the court must see also what is he going to do with us, because this is our home now. 
And here we already year five, we're going into the fifth month already. When they see you coming and going... The 51-year-old has three daughters and a granddaughter who is eight. Sheila was raised by her grandparents on a grape farm in Worcester, and she's a high school dropout. And if you can come outside, then you will see the building. Then you can see how big the building is. And it's got a big space even at the back, where they can even put more flats up there, where people can have homes and live in peaceful and nice, so that they don't have stress. Instead of where we are renting a lot of money, and we are facing a lot of evictions. So we decided we want to come and occupy this place. And the, the building is much cleaner now than when Sheila and the others first broke in. It used to be strewn with bird feathers and whatever else accumulates whenever a building is left vacant for months or years on end. It was dirty of the birds because the windows and doors were open. But we came in and cleaned it. This is the first floor and this is the room that we are having in our meetings in that room. Mm-hmm. Sheila uses the end of a tablespoon handle to unlock a door. It's one of the ways they've adapted to living in this environment. There must be always a plan to do something because in life you can't just sit and wait for people to do things for you. Where do you charge your phone? Where do you charge this light? When the electricity supply was cut, they started using candles, torches and rechargeable lights to manoeuvre in the dark. But they haven't quite figured out how to warm the place up without electricity. What about fire extinguishers? If there's a fire... We, we have fire extinguishers. If there's a fire, I've got one right here by me. A fire hose on each floor is a source of water for flushing toilets and there's a tap outside for bath water. Why are you choosing the ugliest toilet? <laughs> what? I would think Sheila had the best toilet. Near this near looks the toilet, you'll come and say D near look a toilet immense. toilet come photos fatty. The occupants meet regularly in one of the more spacious rooms to strategize and deal with any other issues related to their new living arrangement. The meeting room is plastered with handwritten posters ranging from rules and regulations to contact numbers and their campaign strategy. Sheila is trying to build a community here with a code of conduct and a unity of purpose. You could say the women leading this campaign are like the building's body corporate. And Sheila is the head honcho. Number two, clean after yourself. Number three, respect someone's belongings. Number four, no alcohol, drugs or weapons are allowed inside. In this microcosm, Sheila is the go-to person for a lot of things. Here she is mayor, sheriff and arbitrator, often putting out proverbial fires. Before we put people in, we let them sit and we give them the rules. And we told them that what doesn't belong to you, don't take it. But as you know that we are different people, we grow up at different homes. If I'm used to take someone's things, it won't stop me now to do that. Because most of the times, I like going to bed around about 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, because people come and knock me up. Auntie Sheila, my bed is stolen. Auntie Sheila, they took my cupboard out. Auntie Sheila, my blankets are gone. And that's where all those things I need to wake up and I need to run around and look for the people's things. 
Occupants are expected to be neighborly by doing simple things like filling the water bucket after using it. Sheila and the other women preach tolerance and non-discrimination. This liberal conviction resonates with Mpo, who knows it's not easy being gay in the township. It's unacceptable to black uh, communities, I would say, because they presume a man should be involved with a woman, not with a man. They don't accept it, though maybe you might find the minority that does, mm. that embraces uh, 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 our sexuality and diversity. Mpo is tenacious and effervescent. His drive got him a spot on TV, but this hasn't been enough to pay the rent. He invited me to the Haven shelter in Greenpoint, where he used to live before joining the Helen Bowden occupation. Here he is doing mini makeovers for a charity event, generating a bit of publicity and good karma. Hi, how are you? Morning. Hey. I'm worried Mpo is playing a risky game. He wants to use the TV hype to boost his career and one day manage his own salon. But he risks eviction, maybe even arrest. I had to ask if it's worth it. If we don't speak out loud about it, then who else must speak out loud for us? You understand? I'm at an affordable housing conference at a swanky hotel in Cape Town. The shouting you just heard? They're supporters of Reclaim the City and they are gatecrashing this event that was organized by a private company for paying delegates. The protesters want to hear from this man. In Cape Town and other major cities in South Africa, the majority of the poor were consigned to settlements far away from work where residents had limited access to services. Councillor Brett Heron is responsible for urban development in Cape Town. The spatial separation of communities created a highly fragmented city confining poorer residents to the urban fringes where there was little or no investment to stimulate economic activity. He was invited to speak at the conference and promised a new plan for affordable housing. We are determined and committed to make Cape Town an inclusive city and will leverage our assets to achieve this. We need a similar commitment from developers in the private sector to assist us in providing inclusionary housing on well-located land. I'm eager to get their proposals on how they intend to do things differently going forward. The municipality is releasing 10 sites for future affordable housing development in Woodstock, Salt River and the city centre. This will change Cape Town's landscape because, to date, not a single state-subsidised rental unit has been built in the inner city since 1994. Those that exist were built during apartheid. One way to remedy spatial injustice is through the state's social housing program. The rationale behind social housing is to restructure apartheid geography by making affordable rentals available to low- and mid-income earners in well-located spots. The term affordable housing, regularly bandied about in these circles, is a broader concept. Affordable housing is a broad term that includes social housing, but it can also include inclusionary housing where the private developer um, is required to add or to provide 
within a private development a percentage of the units for low-income families. Um, and affordable housing also includes gap housing. Social housing is legislated and regulated. These units are constructed in special areas called restructuring zones and are funded by grants from the central government. Households that earn less than 3,500 rand a month on the low end and less than 15,000 rand on the higher end of the spectrum qualify, provided their names are on an official database. More than 686 million rand has been spent on social housing in the Western Cape and many more units will be built in the years to come. There are apartments available in areas like Wotasach and Thornton. But why have none been built in the inner city? Look, we must take responsibility as government. Um, I think the, the, the problem here, I mean, from government in general, is that for a very long time, when we get our funding for housing or human settlements, the thinking has always been that you use most of that money to provide PNG, which is your free houses. And I think we then neglected the market just above that, which is the, the people who qualify for social housing, who I believe you know, also needs to be catered for by government. Inner city developments and rising property values have done little to break down apartheid divisions. If anything, it's deepened them. There is a need for them to tap into the capacity of the private sector, the capacity and the, the energy of the private sector, especially where the market is hot. So in Cape Town, what we see is the city of Cape Town, which governs land use, so it regulates land use of, of private developers or public developers. And through that land use, for instance, it routinely allows developers more bulk rights, more development rights, so they can build higher and they can build bigger buildings, right? Now, when it grants these additional rights, these additional rights are worth tens of millions of rands, right? And they are dished out currently for free. There's no quid pro quo. In many cities around the world, in developed and developing nations, the state will use that leverage to negotiate a contribution from the private sector development towards a public good. Now, that public good tends to be affordable housing. Julian Senden is a researcher at Ndufuna Kwasi a civil rights organization supporting the Helen Bowden occupation. To make affordable rentals in prime spots financially feasible, you need to cross-subsidize the low-cost units with market-rate apartments. Year-on-year -year nominal property values in, uh, in the Atlantic seaboard has jumped 104% in five years. Mm -hmm. okay? In the city bowl and surrounds, it's around 89%. Right? These are massive increases in value. And essentially, we have not been making hay while the sun has been shining because we've secured this massive amount of growth and none of it is inclusive. There's no inclusive growth gained there. Some of the Helen Bowden occupants have been campaigning since 1996. Back then, they called themselves the Rainbow Housing Cooperative, a group of working-class people desperate for a place close to work. Many lived in small rooms behind the employer's home, another vestige of apartheid the maids' quarters. Over the years, there have been opportunities for redeveloping sites. And this has been an approach long used by the state at all spheres of government. Whenever activists kind of hone in on one site, they're told, no, you know, look elsewhere, and so the can gets kicked further and further down the road. 
The provincial government's decision to sell the old Tafelberg school site in Seapoint was the last straw. The transaction is the subject of an ongoing court challenge supported by Ndufuna Okwazi. It's an important part of the story, so I don't want to gloss over it. But here's what you need to know in a nutshell. The Public Works Department declared the site surplus and decided to sell it to a private school for 135 million rand, even though, at one point, the province's Human Settlements Department requested the site be used for affordable housing. Under pressure from civil society, the transaction was put on hold. A government feasibility study found that, in principle, social housing was doable. But a few months ago, the provincial government decided the project wasn't feasible because of funding constraints. One of the reasons for the decision is that the project can't be funded by the state's social housing model because the site is not in a designated restructuring zone. Julian and the Indufuna Quasi team believe the provincial government is being disingenuous and that affordable housing on the site is feasible. The main subsidizing component is that there is residential market units for sale. So as a normal sectional title in a block of flats would be for sale. Now the advantage of that is that you can sell off plan, which means you get money in the bank that can assist with the capital construction of the site. Um, So what we did, we ran two scenarios. The first scenario puts it around 297 social housing units and 89 market residential units. After the Tafelberg decision, the provincial government released a vague statement about what it planned to do with the other properties it owns. Helen Bowden's site is now earmarked for mixed development, not social housing, not just affordable housing. Because when you talk about mixed development, you're talking about social housing, you're talking about your affordable housing, you're talking about upmarket housing, your bonded, etc., Because for any inner city development to make sense, for any inner city development to be feasible financially, that's the only way to go. Minister Marikizela insists that social housing will be a component of the project, but the area would first have to be declared a restructuring zone. Irrespective of whether the Helen Bowden nurse's home is revamped, the occupiers don't have claim to the spot. If it hasn't crossed your mind already... I'm just going to say it. Why should they be first in line to get an apartment close to the sea while others are on the waiting list? How is this fair? Won't it incentivize people to occupy buildings all the time? What precedent is Sheila and the others setting? These questions are the foundation of Premier Helen Ziller's argument that one can't circumvent a fair process. In fact, the Premier followed up on Sheila's claim that she's been on the housing waiting list since 1999. She found out that Sheila is registered in her hometown of Worcester, but she's not listed in Cape Town. This means Sheila won't be considered for state-subsidized housing in the city because others are already in the queue. But what's effective is to maybe have civil disobedience that will agitate and and put more pressure to them to respond. Nkosi Kona Swatboy, who is also with Ndifuna Kwasi, says after years of campaigning, Sheila and the others have radically changed their strategy to civil disobedience. 
a tool used by social movements the world over. Why is it that we not, the provincial government is not looking into ways to which the people that we are pushed out of the city um, by the 1952 Kruberias Act um, why, why aren't we looking into ways to which you can bring black and colored people and have a more inclusive city? Because if you look at our city now, it's one of the most segregated cities in South Africa. They also have international support from a citizens movement in Barcelona called PA, which stands for People Affected by Mortgages. PA activists occupy vacant properties to help people who've lost their homes in the global financial crisis. Some reclaim the city folks went all the way to Spain to see how things are done. When they closed the block, uh, I think 2014. Mpo, Sheila and the others are playing it by ear. They have no idea whether they'll be arrested or evicted. Until then, they are content with their new digs and they are not prepared to budge. The sun comes from uh, this side, so it shines through my window, so it's so nice to see the sunrise, you know. You wouldn't want to give this up? I wouldn't. In a million years, I wouldn't. Okay. I feel here at home. As a postscript to the feature that you just heard, there have been some developments at the Helen Bowden building. When the occupants were in their regular meeting room last Wednesday, they found themselves in a very dangerous situation. An armed group stormed the building and it seems like the intruders were trying to scare them off. According to those who were there that night, the assailants were shouting, Leave this building! You don't belong here! The intruders had guns, knives, hockey sticks, while the occupants used chairs to block the entrance to the meeting room and they had very little to defend themselves with. Thankfully for them, no one was seriously hurt. It's a bizarre and confusing incident which has left many suspecting it was a ploy to intimidate the occupants. Now they're thinking about ways to better secure the building. <laughs>